Unger the Radar, bringing movies and people together, one frame at a time. Hey guys, I'm Randy Younger, and this is another episode of Under the Radar, bringing movies and people together, one frame at a time. And with me tonight, I have a very special guest. Uh, it's been a while for Mr. Tyler Michael. Tyler, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you, Randy. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah. Uh, was the last time the John Landis retrospective? Yes, it was. And it was a fantastic conversation, if I may add. I One of my favorite uh, shows ever, I, I might add. <laughs> Uh, you and Ivy uh, absolutely killed it. You were fantastic, and we we had to we had to split that episode in half. So it was basically two episodes in one, and uh, we could have we could still be talking at this point. Uh, you know, we 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 I had a great time, and uh, I'm assuming you and Ivy did as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that was fun, and we're gonna have a lot of fun tonight as well. Uh, tonight we're going to be discussing. Uh, sort of a cult film from 1989. Uh, it's called Black Rain, and it is now celebrating its 35th anniversary. Now, this is a gritty action thriller uh, starring Michael Douglas, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, you've got two amazing talents right there. Uh, it's just a, a fun movie. It's it's not exactly uh, an intelligent movie, but it it is very entertaining. It's action-packed. Uh, you've got Andy Garcia in a supporting role. You've got a great Japanese uh, supporting cast. They filmed on location in Japan. And uh, the score is by Hans Zimmer, who I absolutely love. I've mentioned him on the show many times. Uh, but Tyler, I, I believe this was your first viewing of Black Rain. What were your initial thoughts? Well, when I heard about the film... I looked into it and I heard it got a mixed reception, but I'm the kind of person who's very optimistic when going into a film, mm. you know? Um, but as a person who's not like really big with action movies, I wanted to view it at least for what it is, not what I want it to be. Mm. And for action fa fans, I think they'll enjoy it fine. But okay. for me, it just feels very standard and by the numbers. Right. Which uh, I hate to be part of that crowd. No, I'm not saying it's a bad film either. I'm not saying no. it's unwatchable. It pleases the audience. It's meant for. I just didn't gain a lot out of the film, as I'd hope. Yeah, it's a it's a very standard by the numbers action movie, uh, but it it achieves its 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 purpose. You know, yeah. which, like I said, to entertain. Uh, I'm a humongous Michael Douglas fan. He's one of my absolute favorite directors. So is his father, uh, you know, Kirk Douglas, an amazing talent there, and basically handed the baton over to his son here. Um, and this is actually the first movie Douglas did, Michael Douglas did in two years following his Oscar win for Wall Street. So there was a lot riding on this movie. Uh, unfortunately, it, it wasn't as obviously good as Wall Street, but um, it's a it's a relatively decent follow up, I'd say. And again, just a fun movie. Um, I think Andy Garcia is great too. He, he plays kind of like this young hotshot detective uh, to Michael Douglas's uh, Nick Conklin. And like I said, you've got a great uh, supporting cast, mostly Japanese actors. And you have a very random uh, love interest in Kate Capshaw, uh, who might, you know, audiences might know her best from uh, Temple of Doom uh, and the real life wife of Steven Spielberg. I had to mentioned Spielberg at least once in the episode because I am a Spielberg nerd. Um, but yeah, it, it it has a lot of great elements. Like, I mean, 
the production mm-hmm. design alone, like yeah. this movie looks beautiful. You know, it, it it definitely took me back to one of Ridley Scott's previous films, Blade Runner. Obviously yes. Has a very, I, yeah, sorry. Um, but a great look, uh, Tyler. Yeah, no, I was thinking of Blade Runner as well when I was watching the film and I knew it was directed by him. And while it's a great film that captured, like I overall love the uh, Japanese aesthetic of the film. I will say that. Um, Do I think it's as iconic or as interesting as Blade Runner? No, but is it pleasing to the eye while I was watching it? Yes, it did fine. Yeah, for sure. Again, and he also uses some of those shadows, those uh, the lighting, you know, seeping through the windows. And I I also want to mention um, that the uh, cinematographer is Jean Debont, who directed uh, Speed and Twister. So it's definitely a really unique and special look to Black Rain, having his talent there coupled with Ridley Scott's beautiful direction. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I remember seeing the VHS of this back in the nineties, like in, in video stores. Um, I was a little young to like, eh, I mean, the, the poster looks cool, but do, do I, am I really interested in seeing this at 10? No. Uh, I think I saw it for the first time when I was in my 20s, and I'm glad I did because it's it's just a fun one. Um, yeah, it was definitely entertaining for what it is, and I will give right. a few credits that I want to point out with the film. For okay. all my criticisms about how standard generic is in terms of the characters, in terms of the action, which I didn't think was all that exciting, but had some moments, mm-hmm. um, there were a few things that did stand out to me. One was Kate Capshaw, who could have easily been written out of the film. I mean, at least the romantic element. She does stuff, but she just kind of feels shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. But she gives definitely a better performance than in Temple of Doom. <laughs> this is her utilized <laughs> at her best, just needs better writing. Yeah. Um, Michael Douglas, here's another thing. This is Michael Douglas being a full-blown action hero when yeah. you get to it. Like, this is him kind of being a Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, and even a bit of Clint Eastwood, yeah. which I will commend the film for. I think they would have a better balance of how to utilize him as a kind of an action hero in, or should I say anti-hero in mm-hmm. Falling Down. Yeah. But this was definitely an interesting, you know, change of uh, character for him. Yeah. And on top of it, I forgot the actor's name, but the uh, Japanese uh, policeman that was uh, assisting them, what yeah. I found out is he did not know how to speak English, and he gave a really emotional performance. In fact, yeah. out of all the characters in the film, I think he was the most fascinating. Not the most engaging in terms of writing, but in terms of performance, I felt the most connected with. I, I absolutely, his name actually is Ken Takakura. Uh, he passed away, but mm-hmm. uh, I thought he was a brilliant, uh, he had great chemistry with Douglas, and the scenes with him and, and Garcia in the nightclub singing the karaoke scene. I thought that was so funny and so you know cute. It was fun. It was um, actually a genuine moment that I did smile when watching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so the cast is fa- fantastic. Um, Kate Capshaw, yeah, like you said, you know, she kind of, could. she put, basically phoned it in. This could have been any like popular actress in 1989 that could have had this role, unfortunately. But it was mm-hmm. cool to see her because I, I I think she was a, 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 like just slightly more fleshed out than than Temple of Doom. Um, I oh, definitely. I, I I would have loved to have seen more of her and, and Douglas on screen. To be honest with you. Yeah, it needed they needed more screen time to make her interesting. That's where it fails in the writing department. Yeah, and I will say in terms of phoning in performances, she was the least phoned in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
the one who I thought was really phoning it in, and I really do respect him as an actor, I thought it was Andy Garcia who was really phoning things in as the comic relief. And no, there are some genuine moments that I legitimately like where he becomes likable and charming. But for the most part, I just see the typical comic relief that I think he hmm. doesn't really pull off too well, Okay, at least in this film. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not a huge admirer of Garcia. This is one of the, the handful of films that I actually really respected his performance. Um, I thought he was decent, you know, I thought he was funny and very charismatic, which, you know, is apparent in most of his other performances, uh, especially after this in the 90s. But I also wanted to mention real quick, um, there's a there's a, a very small role by Luis Guzman in the beginning, which is a lot of fun. Um, there are actually two other roles in this movie that is worth mentioning um, because I'm a huge fan of the movie Office Space, which is also uh, celebrating an anniversary this year. Love uh, that movie. Yeah, me too. One of my absolute favorite comedies. It it turns uh, 25 this year. And I wanted to mention two of the other roles in Black Rain. Uh, you've got uh, Stephen Root and Richard Reel, um, who I interviewed actually a couple of years ago. They play the um, the internal affairs uh, agents at the beginning of the movie that are like interrogating Michael Douglas. They're in the scene together. So I don't know if this was like, you know, destiny for them to work again together 10 years later in, in office space, but it is kind of like a nice uh, stroke of fate as it were. But, oh, absolutely. I didn't even recognize them. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's a very, it's like a five minute scene and they're kind of just there. I don't even think Stephen Root has any lines. If he does, he has like maybe one or two. And they're basically, the the, the whole subplot is uh, Nick Conklin is uh, basically sort of a criminal. He's taken uh, money uh, in the past. So he's got a very shady history and these internal affairs agents are trying to get to the bottom of it. Uh, on top of that, he is a divorced dad, and he owes money to his wife. Uh, he, you know, he gambles and 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 does illegal uh, motorcycle racing. So this is a character. He's not your typical action hero. He's he's got some flaws about him. He's you know got a, a dark past and kind of a dark present too. But I think in the end, uh, things look more in his favor. So I think Douglas was was a great choice. Uh, oh, yeah. He was a, definitely an unconventional choice, but he proved that he can do action decently. Yeah. I, I think prior to this, uh, he did the, um, so it was Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile, which were kind of like uh, an Indiana Jones knockoff. Right. And in in those films, uh, I didn't see them, but he I believe he plays like an adventurer slash, you know, action mm -hmm. hero, basically. So I guess that was kind of like a preamble to Black Rain in a, in a weird way. Um, mm -hmm. like yeah I'm sure they didn't just like pick him out of a hat and say like no. let's just cast Michael Douglas because he won an Oscar let's see how he does in action you are right in Romancing the Stone which I haven't seen either I can't pretend I have but given how the film looks it looks like it's also a satire on adventures as well like it has like that kind of a balance to it probably similar to The Princess Bride how that was kind of tongue-in-cheek but also something you can you know get invested in emotionally yeah I think that's where Romancing the Stone was Keyword. very yeah, very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Black Rain, though, it's more of a straightforward thriller, action thriller. Exactly. There, there's humor in it. I mean, the script is decent, and there's some really genuine moments, again, between Douglas and Garcia and uh, the Japanese uh, detective who joins them, and uh, some 
it's like the, the the humor is balanced pretty well with the violence, which is it's there's some really gory scenes. There's a a murder in like one of the first scenes in in this restaurant in New York, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that the the action really starts like like ten minutes in, you know, and uh, yeah, it's it's good stuff. I mean, and I I want to mention the lighting, uh, and John mm -hmm. John Debont, cinematographer. It just, it just kind of felt like an extension of Blade Runner in a way. It did, um, you know that 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 urban futuristic Tokyo type, you know, landscape. I just I, I love that stuff, and in a weird way, this can be considered like maybe even a successful uh, a, a spiritual sequel, or at least a, a nice little follow up in Ridley Scott's career. And mm -hmm. of course, Scott has done some great films since. Um, we most recently reviewed uh, Napoleon, which was kind of lackluster in my opinion uh i think i prefer black rain to that this is a more fun film but um real quick uh tyler well, are you a are you a ridley scott fan or have you been following this uh, great director unfortunately i've actually just saw blade runner for the first time early uh late last year as a matter of fact okay. and i have seen some of his works like alien for example but i can't say that i'm fully familiar with his best works i haven't really been following on his filmography but he does make very entertaining films. And I feel like, at least in theory, that his films always look like a spectacle to look at, even if they're not good. Yeah. It's, but it's, he definitely has directing talents that definitely shows. So sadly, it's it's basically a lot of his films are more style rather than the substance. Right. Um, and I felt that was this film's. Yeah. Agreed. So that's kind of the trend. Sometimes he, he comes up with a good one. Like, of course, Gladiator, that had some strong performances. I forgot um, he directed that. Yeah. And of course, Alien, that, that might be one of his best films. For, not might, definitely is one of his best films. Um, it is. You know, and he's done some great stuff in the 90s, too. Uh, when we did Napoleon, we did um, 1492 Conquest of Paradise. Oh, my God. I remember the trailer for that on my Wayne's World VHS. <laughs> yes, I used to see that ever since I was a kid. It's a. I think the trailer is better than the movie itself, actually. Oh no! Yeah. Plus, uh, it has a fantastic score by Vangelis or Vangelis. I can never get that right. But um, you know, he did Chariots of Fire, and fourteen ninety two has a very very strong score. So that was Ridley Scott back in nineteen ninety two, celebrating uh, the anniversary of fourteen ninety two, and it's just it's a, it's a disappointing one. But again, uh, style over substance seems to be the uh, the recurring trend in Scott's career, sadly. Um, Which and is probably why I'm not too interested in seeing his films, because a lot of his films to me seem like, OK, they look great, but something inside me is telling me I'm not going to love it. Yeah. Uh, similar can be said about his late brother, Tony Scott, who directed a ton of really good uh, action movies throughout the 90s. Uh, he did, you know, like Crimson Tide. He did uh, True Romance. Uh, oh, True Romance is really good. Such a great movie. Um, and yeah, sadly, he passed a couple years back. But he's left, and he's done a, a lot of. He did a lot of great work with uh, Denzel Washington, one of my other all-time favorite actors. Would love to see Denzel and Michael Douglas in a movie. I don't, I'm not sure if they did anything together off the top of my head, but. Um, Basically, all the movies I just mentioned uh, have a very similar common thread in them. And that is uh, the composer Hans Zimmer, who uh, I am a huge aficionado of his work. 
and respect him greatly. He's one of my absolute favorite composers. Uh, in Black Rain, he gives us, this is actually early on in his career. He actually, one of the, his first big scores was actually a year prior, 1988 for uh, Rain Man, which mm -hmm. is just a gorgeous, gorgeous score. It's got some great electronics in there, a strong theme. It's kind of like a weird, like dreamlike uh, type score. Uh, and then he, he he comes to Japan now with Black Rain, which has some really interesting instrumentation, which is found uh, in common uh, Japanese music. You've got some really strong themes, uh, especially that there's, a, there's a, a chase theme that I just absolutely love. And yeah, they actually use some of this trailer music in in the speed trail speed trailer, which was directed by Jean Debanta, but cinematographer here. But um, enough about me, <laughs> Tyler. Uh, what what is your association with Zimmer? Are you an aficionado yourself? Um, I can't say that I've listened to a lot of. Okay, I take that back. I have listened to a lot of Zimmer scores, but usually it's when I don't even realize I'm listening to his <laughs> music. Like, okay. for example, um, I just recently found out that he did the music for, of all films, Madagascar, which yes. I love, yeah. but I, you know, I just never would associate the film with Hans Zimmer. Yes. Um, yes. However, though, I was also surprised, but however, I was also surprised to find out that he did the music for Prince of Egypt, which is a really underrated animated film. And it's like one of his epic pieces along with The Lion King in terms of kids entertainment. Yeah. In fact, what even fascinates me more about Zimmer is he did the he did the music not only for Pirates of the Caribbean, which was a childhood favorite of mine, but also another childhood favorite where it started to make sense when I listened to the music again, Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> That's a great score, by the way. Um, yeah, I like... <laughs> What I love about him as a composer is, in general, even in his works like, say, his Bat the Dark Knight, Interstellar, he manages to make these films feel big and epic, which he definitely, which he definitely always nails, even when it's for something like, you know, even when it's for comedy, he always, like, gives it his all. Like, he's never just, you know, hmm. half-baking it by any means. Yeah, and with his comedy, he's actually a very, very good uh, comedic scorer. Mm -hmm. uh, he scored Matchstick Men, which was also a Ridley Scott film. And that's just like a fun, like quirky, bouncy little score with a lot of electronics in it. Uh, he doesn't just do those 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 big, epic, medieval, you know, action movies, but that's kind of his forte. He's very, very good at scoring comedy. And you mentioned Madagascar that he did. Mm -hmm. um, he did all three of them, actually. Yes, he did. And yeah, uh, that's actually the second Madagascar is one of my favorite Zimmer scores ever. And uh -huh. he actually performed it live. I saw him twice. Well, no, sorry. Saw him once uh, in 2017 at Radio City. And when, when they played Madagascar live, I lost it. It was just one of the coolest things ever. Uh I also wanted to mention that um, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, I, I went to the uh, Candlelight concert uh, with the, it was the music of Hans Zimmer performed by a string quartet in Brooklyn. That was awesome, too. Sadly, uh, Zimmer was not there, but he was in spirit through his music. And that was just really nice. They played the standards, um, Dark Knight, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Interstellar, Inception, you know his his go tos his his popular um, entries, but I I I really love his stuff from the late eighties early nineties to mid nineties. 
like you mentioned Muppet Treasure Island. That's a fantastic, great score. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, better than Pirates of the Caribbean, to be honest with you. It's it's just more melodic. It's got just more layers to it. It's, it just feels like there's more emotion rather. And you and you have so, so much more imagery in your head as, well, as to just like uh, Johnny Depp flying around, you know, on, on a rope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, to be fair, also, a lot of the cues from Muppet Treasure Island is actually used in parts of the Caribbean. So that makes a lot of sense why you would prefer Muppet Treasure Island over yeah. Pirates. I think Pirates is more iconic. Right. I will admit that. But I do think Muppet Treasure Island was also one where he had to really balance out being the funny Zimmer and the serious yeah. epic Zimmer. Yeah. And when he and balances both those genres, it's such some of the most beautiful music you'll ever hear. Really. Absolutely. Um, so ba basically I, I would recommend, uh, if you want to go like vintage Zimmer, I would check out the cool running score. Um, <laughs> it's a, that's a fun movie also. I've and, seen it. Yeah. And, and, and the score is, just, it's got a great Jamaican, uh, instrumentation in there. It's got a strong, uh, theme for the German bobsledders. And yeah, it, again, it, it, it balances the comedic with the dramatic, which is a great, great balance there. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of Cool Runnings when I saw it. I thought it was, like this film, entertaining for its target audience. Yeah. But I will say this. Uh, your description of Hans Zimmer's score in the film definitely makes me want to listen to it again in the very least. And if yeah. there was one thing in Cool Runnings that stood out to me was John Candy. Oh, of I feel like he was, like, the most dimensional character in the movie. And I just love John Candy. He just... And anything he's in, he just makes it worth seeing. Even if it was a lame script, he's always just charismatic to watch. Yeah, you, I don't know if you've checked out The Great Outdoors from 1988. On my list. Yeah, it's a fun one too. Him and Dan Aykroyd just chewing up the scenery, uh, annoying the hell out of each other. It's just great. Um, but yeah, Cool Runnings was was definitely one of Candy's best. Um, you know, he, I think he only did like one or two other movies after that, sadly. Right. Um, but you know he 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 would have gone on to this day he'd be he'd still be acting and and delighting audiences with his uh, comedic charm he really was something special um, definitely you know oh so I want to go back to Black Rain real quick um, I read some trivia that aside from uh, Michael Douglas they were considering either Harrison Ford or Kurt Russell for the role you uh, know what I could see either. Right. I mean, at, I mean, honestly, out of the three, I would find Michael Douglas to be the least one I would cast mm. because, you know, he had Kurt Russell in uh, Escape from New York. True. And you have Harrison Ford from Blade Runner. So it made sense to cast either one since they right. proved their acting chops. And again, Michael Douglas can do adventure films. But we don't know if he can do a serious one. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a gamble, but it worked out. Um, yeah. Also kind of reminded me of another issue uh, in 1989, same year, uh, the casting of Michael Keaton as Batman. Uh, mm. a, a lot of people were against it. They were, you know, writing letters to Warner Brothers and like just really protesting this choice. But in the end, he's he's the best Batman, in my opinion. I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> and while on the su subject of Batman, in relation to Hans Zimmer, I think his score for The Dark Knight gives everything we want. It's energetic, it's exciting, it's dark. But I think Danny Elfman's score is the best uh, Batman theme, hands down. I'm so happy you said that. Yeah, uh, for me, actually, my very favorite score of all time is, is Batman Returns. Because um, yes. it, it, I mentioned this before, but it, it combines 
the the Christmas magic of Edward Scissorhands with the Batman theme and the darkness and the brooding and the mm-hmm. triumphant theme that is the Batman theme. Uh, and it's, it's, just a, it's a beautiful marriage of both styles and it's just a gorgeous score. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. It's a mess of a movie, but this is what happens when Tim Burton's completely unhinged. He just did everything he wanted to do, right. which makes me question his sanity even more when watching it in a good way, but also in a concerning way. But I love the film. It's one of yeah. my favorite Batman movies. And it is one of my favorite scores as well. Mm-hmm. Just the juxtaposition between being Christmassy, Batman-like, and also just a flat-out drop dramatic horror film at times. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Uh, biting someone's nose and squirting blood and just... I mean, even the, the scene where a cat woman is being revived by the cats, mm-hmm. that looks crazy. like something out of a horror scene. Like, Tim Burton was just going all out. Even the penguin was modeled after Caligari. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, And I think it's because Warner Brothers at that point, because the first movie was such a hit and made so much money that they're like, okay, screw it. Tim Burton, run with it. You know, you've got complete uh, creative control here. And he he, he took advantage of that power. And it's one of his best movies, in my opinion. I agree. Actually, I just want to mention also, while on the subject of when he was directing the film, he didn't want to do a sequel. He right. only did because they gave him the freedom because he doesn't believe in making sequels, which I highly respect. Um, but getting to the, the film, actually, without counting Nightmare Before Christmas, because I'm going by the films he directed, mm-hmm. I kid you not, Batman and Batman Returns, while clearly one is better than the other, those mm-hmm. two are tied as my favorite Tim Burton film. I, I respect that. I, I would also include Beetlejuice in that, the top three there. Oh, yeah, it's number two on my top three. Right. And speaking of Beetlejuice, actually, uh, I, I'm almost positive that this is real, but there is an image uh, I've, I've seen seen on, on social media, and I think it is the official teaser poster for Beetlejuice 2, uh, which I believe is just called uh, Beetlejuice Beetlejuice. Um, it could be fake because we've had a lot of fakes in the past couple of years, but it, it, it this felt pretty legit. Um, I've seen it too. I mean, yeah. there have been tons of talks of a sequel being the work in the works. Yeah. Um, personally, yeah. I think you can do a lot with the Beetlejuice world, the Beetlejuice yeah. character, but giving Tim Burton's latest track record in directing, yeah, I don't know if this is going to be a bland, unnecessary sequel, but we'll see. I'm, you know, I'm optimistic. Well, I think you're a little bit more optimistic than I am because the the past couple of uh you know, sequels that have come out uh, in recent times for movies made in the 80s have really been terrible, or even the 90s for that matter. Um, I'm thinking now of, um, well, Space Jam and New Legacy was just terrible. And coming to America was uh, just atrocious as well. So I'm I'm just going to sit back. I'm not, I have very low expectations for Beetlejuice 2, to be honest. Well, my motto is, I'm trying to be optimistic, but I try not to get hyped up. Yeah. I'm just the kind of person when I hear a film, I'm just like, let's just wait and see how it turns out. Yeah. Well, because I, I'm not one of those people that's lining up or craving to see a sequel or a film in general, because, you know, I don't want my expectations to be broken. And I've been through that. Like, no. for example, there was when I heard Pee Wee Herman was coming back with Pee Wee's Holiday, I was disappointed. Right. When I heard that they were reviving some shows, I was disappointed. Yeah. When I saw some of the remakes, I was disappointed, you know, from <laughs> yeah. Disney, which they weren't even good anyway. But, you know, it's just 
you live and learn. And I'm just kind of like, after that, I'm thinking, okay, this sounds interesting. Let's see how it turns out. Yeah. And you know, uh, I am a Ghostbuster. So when I saw the 2016 Ghostbusters, I was totally disappointed. I was so excited because this is the first one after, you know, decades. It was garbage. Um, not, I mean, it had some decent jokes in it and okay performances, but overall, very, very disappointing. Uh, another uh, property that I was excited for as well and was totally let down by uh, was the Willow series on uh, Disney+. Plus. Um, that was just atrocious. I, I, I couldn't, I could barely watch it. It was more of like a, like a soap opera than, uh, you know, than something that was close to the source material. It wasn't really a tribute to the original film. It was just kind of like a showcase for young, good looking actors. And I was very let down with that one as well. But, well, uh, as the saying goes, nostalgia sells. That's really yeah. their mindset. Yeah, we don't need to put effort. You're gonna see it regardless. You're already connected. Therefore, we're just gonna we're just gonna give you a half baked version of what we had in mind. That's really what they're thinking. It's sad. It, it, it like it, and there's no originality there in just bringing these properties back to life. Um, another. I mean, one, yeah. Sorry. I mean, you could bring a new angle to it, a new twist, yeah. but you have to be committed. You have to do it because this is the vision you're going for. Not right. because this is just a marketing ploy, which unfortunately that's what they are, but that's the business for you, unfortunately. I know it's just Hollywood churning out this stuff. That's really has like no soul after a while. It's just like right. same stuff. Like one more uh, thing, cause we're running a little bit out of time. Uh, at, they're, they're coming out with a fourth Beverly Hills cop movie and they are bringing back uh, most of the cast from the original films um this could go either way obviously but again my expectations are very low so and i don't want to be disappointed however i have a strong feeling that i will so uh with that uh i think we just have a couple minutes um and i just wanted to go and hear from you uh mr michael about any any plugs any any projects you're working on I am still working on my blog. I just posted a new review about a few weeks ago on Run Lola Run, which is a German experimental action film, which I highly recommend. Awesome. Uh, the blog is called Tyler the Movie Maniac. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the midst of finishing up my 007 video game ranking reviews. Nice. So oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you right now, GoldenEye is one of the greatest video games of all time. Mm -hmm. you probably knew that <laughs> oh absolutely like i'm really torn between i'm at the top two i'm torn between either goldeneye or nightfire as my favorite you know one so, of my one of my other favorites um oh shoot what what's the one oh everything or nothing i think it's called well willem dafoe yeah the, it's um, yeah that's it the third person i i thought that was great oh yeah and it was <laughs> definitely a risk at the time too considering that ea failed spectacularly on their first third person bond game um tomorrow never dies yeah and they were just getting off you know the success of nightfire which right. was like really you know selling at that time was there also one i'm going way back to like 2001 i think it was agent under fire yes agent that was under fire that that was kind of underwhelming but i enjoyed it for the for what it was so <laughs> i thought the opposite but i will say this in terms of story a lot of things don't make sense but then again you're here to play the game not really engage in the story and as a gameplay experience i loved it and this was also ea mm. trying to use everything 
you see, during their PlayStation era, long story short, they were experimenting. Yeah. So yeah. Agent Under Fire was them bringing everything they experimented in and having it all working well while adding some new ideas. Mm-hmm. And Nightfire is just perfecting those ideas. Yeah. Yeah, it so. was... Um, there were some good ones. There were some good ones, some fun ones. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking back to like old school uh, PlayStation games, I don't know if you've ever played um, the first person shooter Black. Um. Quite frankly, I'm not a big gamer. Okay. So, quite, so no, but it sounds like an interesting game nonetheless. Yeah, it, it's definitely got a strong Golden Eye uh, feel to it, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's for the time it came out in like uh, 2006, I believe, and it had really great uh, graphics. It had great sound design, and the missions were fantastic. You play like a like a CIA operative uh, in like enemy lines behind enemy lines. And there's like missions and stuff, and there's a lot of shooting, a lot of a lot of explosions. Just a fun game. It's called Black. So well, thank you for recommending it to me. Yeah, it was um, on the, it was on the PS2. So if you ever come across it, so all right. Well, Tyler, uh, I want to thank you so much. This was awesome. Uh, and oh, and before we go, I just wanted to mention some plugs on my end. Uh, if you want to see. Uh, new episodes or hear new episodes. Uh, I'm on Sirius XM through Slam Radio SXM, and that's every Thursday uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You can also watch uh, the video version of the podcast on Manhattan Neighborhood Network, and that's every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. And as always, just feel free to visit the Unger the Radar uh, YouTube channel, subscribe, and share. Uh, Tyler, this was great. Thank you so much for going down memory lane with me for Black Rain for the 35th anniversary and discussing Hans Zimmer and other things. So my pleasure. Yeah, you Thanks are always welcome. Um, I really, I, I can't wait uh, until the next time you're on, and uh, we're gonna we'll talk some more. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Me too. Me too. So, guys, I'm Randy Unger. This has been Unger the Radar, bringing movies and people together one frame at a time.